Luke chapter number 23. Before we get into this, um, look more at the life of Joseph. I want to make sure we feel for the moment the darkness that was happening at this. As we study the book of Luke or in the gospel records, there's a great emphasis upon his death upon the cross. There's also a great emphasis on the resurrection. But in this portion of Scripture, toward the ends of Luke, Luke 23, we see the emphasis on the burial of Jesus, which is so very um, important uh, to us. And uh, we could imagine it being different. I could imagine it where Jesus could have died upon the cross and that he could have risen back to life on that same day, that he could have called the host of angels. He could have done it many ways, but we are not only was he buried, but it was recorded for us. And there's so many incredible details that are there that show that it was God's design. And so we do not question it, but we behold the cross, we marvel, and we marvel at this burial scene that is there. Before this day, Jesus said, it's recorded in John 16, he said that the hour is going to come and you are going to scatter and they're going to all leave me, but I will not be alone. My father is, he'll be with me. And that's what happens. We've seen the denial of Peter as he is aware of what association with Jesus would do for him. And now Jesus is lifeless upon a cross. That was not their plan. It was the eternal plan of God, but it was not the plan of those disciples. And so few remained. A few women remained at the cross, true to the very last. They were found faithful unto his death. But what they could, but what could they do to obtain his body and to give it an honorable burial? Could you imagine what it must have been like to live through that day, the darkest of days in human history? In Leviticus 21, it says that a, a priest, the high priest is unable, he should not rend his garments because he has access to God, to the presence of God. He should not rend his garments. If there was ever a time in history where people would just want to fall in the ashes and to rend the garments, it would be at the time here where the Messiah had died, where they did not know what was next for them. And it's at that moment where Jesus hangs upon the cross, where there's a small group of people there, the disciples had no plan, and they are scattered. They will get to verse number 50, and it says, And behold, there was a man named Joseph throughout the Bible. Joseph, when Egypt needed someone, there was a Joseph in the story. Now there's a Joseph for Jesus on the cross. There's a Joseph at the, the playing the part of the father at the birth of Christ. And now there's a Joseph that is arranging the burial. The Lord is not left without friends. Joseph is a good name. Lauren doesn't know this, but Lauren's expecting a boy, and we're going to name him Joseph. All right, you're welcome. You're welcome, all right? I freed you up from all that problem, all right, of having the side. But Joseph's a great name. Uh, Joseph here is a, is a great name. Um, I am just stirred by the testimony by this man. I thought of him as the secret disciple. He's certainly a caution to us, but that isn't where his story ended doesn't have to be where your story ends either. So the details of the burial of Christ of great significance. Joseph is going to be about the Lord's work. It's an important fact. We should not pass over it as a careless reader. We see the details of the burial. Nothing short of the death of Jesus would have paid for man's debt to God. And so forever let us thank God our great Redeemer's death is, is a fact beyond all dispute. For the centurion who stood by the cross, the friends who took the nails out of, his, out of his body at the grave, the women who stood by him, the priest who sealed the grave, the soldiers who guarded the sepulcher, and all the witnesses saw that Jesus was dead, that the sacrifice had been offered, it had been given that was there. 
Details of an burial are of extreme importance. Some of you have had the responsibility and the privilege to care for the burial arrangements of a loved one, and you want to get it right. You want to get all the details right. You want to do it in a way that honors the grandparent, the father, the mother, the family member. You want to get it right. Here, he wants to get it right. And it's not only getting it right, but it's the fulfillment of Scripture. Obedience of Scripture is no small detail to the story of our life. The last verse of this chapter, it says that they prepared spices and they rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. The reason that the women were at the tomb the morning of the resurrection is because they rested on the Sabbath day according to Scripture. That's what the last verse says. The sun was setting. They didn't have time to prepare. And so the Sabbath was coming. And so now they're going to return. And God gave them the great joy of being there on that resurrection morning because of their obedience to Scripture those days before. And it is through obedience to God's Word that we place ourselves in the story as we should be. It is through obedience to God's word that we will place ourselves in the story as we should be. I know Travis played some basketball in high school. I'm sure Jared thinks he played basketball at some point in his life. He talks a good game. We have Kristen here, our only um, uh, per, uh, our college athlete here in the room. She would be, see, women, when they play basketball, they have the fundamentals, all right? They play by the rules more, okay? If you pass Greg the ball on the court, he holds it up like this. He just wants to show off. You know what he's going to do. You know he's not going to pass it, all right? You know what his next move is, all right? So in basketball here, um, you have what is called the triple threat position, all right? How many of you know what the triple threat position is right here? All right, Luther does. He good. He's learning basketball here, the triple threat position, all right? And uh, um, that means when you catch the ball, you hold it in such a way that you can dribble if you need to, you can pass if you need to, or you can shoot if you need to, or there's a fourth threat, which you can dunk on somebody, all right, if you need to. But the triple threat is holding the ball in that position, is living in a position. I just wanted to tell that to you to help you remember that living according to Scripture puts you in a triple threat position in life where you're ready to make the next move that God has for you. Here in this story, these people made, they obeyed Scripture as they have been doing routinely and honoring the Sabbath, and it put them in a position to honor the Lord. And we see that through the life of Christ. He enters into Jerusalem, right? And that's prophesied when he does that in Zechariah that he's going to come in riding upon a donkey. Well, there was a man that got to provide that for him. It says that he's going to be betrayed by a close friend in Psalm 41, verse 9, and it's Judas there that will betray him. It says that he will be tried and condemned in Isaiah chapter number 53, uh, verse 8. And it's with the transgressions he was, he was smitten that was there. And then in Zechariah 12, 10, and that's where Pilate comes into the story. It was by the transgressions he was stricken. Pilate will sentence him here. He'll facilitate that. And Zechariah tells that he will be 12, 10. It says he will be pierced. As Stephen spoke about today in our offering devotion, so it's a powerful thought about the fact that the cross was not something that was decorative. It was not something that was light and easy. It was something that was a a way in which people died. Here in the time of Zechariah, this crucifixion was not a common thing. So a prophecy to say that the Messiah would be pierced showed an understanding that was ahead of people's time, that that he was going to be pierced upon a cross. And that's done by the hands of the Roman soldiers But in Isaiah 53, verse 9, it says that he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, and he had done no violence. 
it was prophesied here that he is going to be buried among the rich in Joseph's time to step into the story, and that is a fulfillment of Scripture. We, don't know, we do not know what God may do tomorrow with our efforts today, but true obedience is never wasted. I'm going to say that for the people in the back, all right? I'm not just talking to you, Dan. It's an expression, all right? I'm going to say that for the people in here. We don't know what God may do tomorrow with our efforts today, but true obedience is never wasted. What an incredible picture of what God did through Joseph and the burial there and in the resurrection. Joseph will publicly and personally identify with Christ. So what do we know about this man? We know nothing before him. We know nothing afterwards. We see he's a good and a just man consented to the council, who didn't consent to the council. He himself, he waited for the kingdom of God. He was waiting for the coming Messiah. He goes before Pilate and he takes him down from the cross and he's laid in a tomb. And as it said, we should be satisfied to pause where the Holy Spirit stays his pen which is to say, outside of what Scripture says about this man, we don't know, but he sets a a great example for us of a person who had been a secret disciple, who has an opportunity to show his allegiance to Christ, and in doing so, God uses it in a way that goes on beyond what we could ever imagine. And though he had been silent in the past, though his stance would be publicly identified with Christ would make him very vulnerable to shame, though he had to make a quick decision and to move fast, and though his decision would cost him on every level, Joseph provides a word of caution and instruction, and his testimony provokes us today to the very same. Another detail we learn about Joseph comes from John chapter number 19 and verse number 38. And so it says there in John 19, 38, it says, And this Joseph of Arimathea... Uh, being um, a disciple of Jesus, which is something we know. He's a disciple of Christ, but secretly for the fear of the Jews. Those words described his life up to that point. It was a summary of his life. Fear which leads us to conceal our faith is an evil thing. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. Fear of man is a plant to be rooted up, not to be nurtured, I should set the plant, if I could, where it would get but little water and no sunshine. And meanwhile, I would, go, I would beg a cutting from a better tree. That part of our life where we're fearful to be associated, fearful to express our allegiance with Christ, he said, I would take that as a plant and I would put no water to it. I'd give it no sunshine, but I would put it into a place where it would die. See, he was a man of a good status. He had much, to, he had gained much in life, and so he had much to lose. And if you're a slave of fear, it demeans you, it belittles you, and it prevents you from giving due glory to God. The song that the Snow Trio sung talked about the fear that it would go to the cross and it could die there. So the causes of fear, the more we have to gain in life, the more we have to lose. Riches do not strengthen our heart or make men daring for a good cause. And if we're not careful, we will permit the liberality, the graciousness of God in our life to be a cause of our disloyalty to him. This man had a good status among his peers, and he was risky to associate with a convicted criminal. After Judas betrays Jesus, there's a man, and this is only told in the book of Mark, a detail uh, that in, in the book of Mark it says there in Mark 14, verse 51, 
There was a person that knew that the soldiers were coming, that Jesus was been betrayed. And it says this, and there was a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. The young man laid hold on him and he left the linen cloth and he fled from them naked. All right. So the person that was following and as the soldiers had come, that man knew, and it could have been Mark, we don't know, it could have been Mark, and they grabbed the hold of his robe, and he took off running, and he fled naked. It's somewhat comical. Feel free to laugh if you need to, so we can move on. We good now? All right. And this idea, though, it wasn't just for, uh, for a comedic relief that that detail was shared. It's emphasizing the fact that association with this Jesus could cost you your life. Why would a man do this? Why would he flee in that way? Because he knew association with this convicted criminal, with this Jesus, could cost you your life. And so he ran. And so the tendency of a good position in this world is towards caution rather than enthusiasm. When you have something to lose, you're afraid to lose it. And that's what motivated Joseph to be a secret disciple. I haven't ever known many secret disciples during life. Not many people come up to me while they're living and said, hey, I'm a secret disciple. But many of us have seen secret disciples at the funeral. It's at the funeral where a person is described and you hear about the Christian that they were and you think they must have been a double agent because I had no idea that they were such a strong Christian. Reminds me of a story of a man that I heard they was getting a job at a, a lumber yard and his friend said, you need to be very careful. If you get a job at this lumber yard and they know you're a Christian, they're going to give you such a hard time. You will not be well accepted if you're a Christian. He sees him the next day and he says, well, how did it go? Did they give you a hard time? And he said, no. Everything went okay. I lived in such a way that they never knew. All right? And so that's one way to live throughout this life as a secret disciple. But that is not the way us believers should live. And you know, it is one of the wonderful things about the fact that we are living during a time where there's a great cultural shift. Where being a moral person to being a secret disciple, there's no longer any room for you. You have to take a stand that I stand with Jesus. Joseph took courage and he went boldly before Pilate in Mark 15, 43. And it says that he went in boldly unto Pilate. He was a fearful person. Now he took courage. But let's look at what he lost for a moment. Being a secret follower of Jesus. During that brief but golden period in which men walked and talked and they ate and they spent time with Jesus, Joseph was not with them. How many opportunities he must have missed (coughs) of working with Jesus and for Jesus because he was fearful to lose his status in life. He's more than a warning, though. He provides an example for us. Joseph was moved by the cross. It was what fetched Joseph, this man that was a fearful disciple, what brought him out of the shadows to a place where he was willing to stand with it, and it was the cross that did that. It was the cross that made it where he could not be silent any longer. It was Jesus dying on the cross. Maybe as he would have heard, Father, forgive them, for he know, they know not what they do. But it's these actions that caused him to say, I can't stand in the shadows anymore. And he looked at the cross, and with the depth of his heart, he said, He, Jesus, loved me, and he gave himself for me. And if you cannot say that, then you will never be happy. But if you can, then what follows? If you can look at the cross and you say, he loved me and he died for me, then what should follow? If the death of Christ in our place does not move us to courageous affection and action, then what will? 
If knowing that Jesus died for you will not motivate you to live for God, then what will? Joseph was the very man needed for this occasion, a man of influence, a man possessing the kind of influence which would allow a person like Pilate to give him the body, a counselor, a member of the Sanhedrin, a personal of weight and character, people around the cross, those poor women of Galilee, they were not in a position to do that. It required this person of this opportunity and influence to ask for the body and to receive it. God had prepared him for an assignment, and it was his time, and he made a decision that I will show my allegiance to Christ. You know, many times through my life I've heard people tell me how they have been given influence and wealth and resources and that they have been put in a position to do something that can do the most good. But many times I've found that they are not true to their occasion. This man was given opportunity, he was given influence, he was given resources, and he used it for the cause of Christ. And the Lord had his servant made ready. And when the time came and when the occasion called for him, the man should be found for the hour. And every man that loves Christ should be at this hour, prove it by his actions. So Joseph no longer wanted to be on the sidelines. I don't know what all that he saw. Was he there the day when they wanted to throw Jesus off the cliff? Was he there? Was he there the day when they said, this man's of the devil? Was he there when they falsely accused him? Were they, was he there when they, they were going to um, mock and ridicule him? And he sat there silently, I don't know. But when the time came and they were going to treat his death as just any other death, and they were going to place his body in just the nearest grave, he said, I can no longer stay silent. And he quits his own company of his own associates in life, and he joins himself with the Lord Jesus. He leaves his place of prominence, and he walks across, and now he identifies himself with Jesus that had been killed and this group and band of people that were the outcasts of that day. He couldn't let it happen any longer. And he looked at the cross there. And so Jesus, just like Joseph, the activity of our life should center around our response to the cross. Just like Joseph, the activities of our life should center around our response to the cross. Everything is to put Jesus, that we have should be put at the disposal of Christ. If Jesus needs it, it is his. Joseph is owning his Lord, and he puts himself under personal risk. Read a story of a Christian slave whose master was executed for being a Christian. He went to the judge, and he begged the body of his master that he might bury it. And the judge replied, Wherefore do you wish for your master's body? And he said, Because he was a Christian, and I am one. Upon this confession, he himself was condemned to die. It might have been so with Pilate, for the Jewish rulers must have hated Joseph and longed for his death. He put his life at risk to beg for the body of Jesus. He did not know the response of what would happen when he identified with Christ. Do you think that if it was needful for you to jeopardize your best earthly interest for Christ, you would do it? Do you believe if you come out for Christ and unite with his people that you would be lowering yourself among your status in this world? Luke twenty three fifty two, and he begged for the body of Jesus and he took it down and he wrapped it in linen. Nobody minds that you're a religious person. Nobody minds that Joseph Arimathea was a religious person among the Sanhedrin. Nobody mind that he was a wealthy person and wanted to do good for somebody else. But he did something that was public and personal. He pointed at that body and he said, I love that person. I love that Jesus. I want to be associated with that man. 
The world doesn't mind that you're good. The world doesn't mind that you want to care for other people. What they don't want to hear that's going to cost you something is when you say, I love Jesus, that I associate with Jesus. My allegiance is to him and to him alone. Joseph knew the occasion had come. His obedience would be costly, but it was necessary. He no longer could stay in the shadows. He had identified publicly and personally with Christ. And it is costly. It cost him a, a burial site. It cost him status. It says that Nicodemus bought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, but that was not a day for counting the cost because when they gave their life, and that at that, after that point, every other decision became very clear to them. When he decided that I'm going to step away from my status and I'm going to identify with this Jesus that had been care, killed, every other decision had already been made. What was the tomb to a, mess, a man who said, I'm going to say no to my life of secrecy for Christ and I'm going to be associated with Jesus? All the other decisions of life have been made. What was it the Nicodemus who was also in the shadow with him when he said, that is my Jesus and I love him. What is this for me to buy 75 pounds? When you say my life is given to Jesus, it will make a world of decisions for you. It will settle so many things. If they talk about living a minimal and simple life, which is promoted, let me tell you, if you want to live the ultimate simple and minimal life, decide I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to seek him first, and all these things will follow after it. So people like Joseph have been stepping up ever since. I looked at different stories. You know, from this time forward, Jesus is going to arise from the grave and disciples, people are going to come to Christ. The gospel is going to spread. For 2,000 years, it continues to spread. It's found its way to your family. And along the way, there was people that made decisions just like Joseph Arimathea that says, I'm not going to stand in the shadows any longer. Emperor Julian, writing in the early 4th century, regretted the progress of Christianity because it pulled people away from the Roman gods. I have this quote, I believe, on the screen here for you. And here it says atheism, but when he says atheism here, he's speaking of Christian faith. He's saying atheism, referring to Christians. Atheism has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered the strangers and through care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, speaking of these Christ followers, can not only care for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. We come from a great line of people who did not stay in the shadows. We come from a great line of people that said, I'm going to stand with Jesus regardless of the cost. You know, in here today, I love this church family so very much. Many of you live and work in society and that I don't even understand. And you may say, you don't understand the pressures at my job. You don't understand many things. The truth is, I don't. But I can tell you, this Bible is filled with testimony of people who knew exactly what it cost when they stood for Jesus. They knew exactly what would happen when they stepped out of the shadow and said, I can't be quiet any longer. I love that Jesus. I don't just love this religion. I don't just love that life. But that person that is upon the cross there that is dying, I want to associate with him. My allegiance is to him. As the musicians come, and I'm going to ask you to respond to this message today, I'm going to pray that as followers of Jesus Christ, we never step into the shadows. That we would always say, regardless of the cost to us, personally, financially, status, that we would never be a secret disciple because of the fear of any group of people. 
I shared my heart with the high schoolers today, and I spoke to them because this is a type of message where we know that teenagers have a, they have a decision to make. But can we be honest in here? It doesn't stop in high school. As you get older, there's just constant decisions. Am I going to step in the shadow? Am I going to allow fear of man to keep me? Or am I going to speak up? And I'm just going to let people around me know, I love this man named Jesus. He died in my place. Oh, how I love Jesus. May you know that you have been living a Christian life in a shadow. Maybe you know that. And today you need to step out of it. If we're at youth camp together, I'd have you come stand with me and say that I'm going to live out of the shadows and stand in the light. And that's a good decision to make. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's only the first step. Then the next question is, what do I need to do when I leave this building? And that's what I'm going to ask you to pray for the Holy Spirit, that he will make personal application in the place that you're in life. You're not Joseph Arimathea, but you're Matt of Alpharetta, you're Eric of Alpharetta, you're Dan of Alpharetta, you're whatever place that you're from. And God has put you in a place, in a position, and in talents, and in influence, and he's given it to you for such a time as this. And you say, Lord, this belongs to you. I'm not going to step into the shadows. And then daily following the scriptures. That example, not a small detail. Those ladies did what the scriptures commanded and then it allowed them the opportunity for something else. Would we live in such a way that in our faithful life of just following him, giving that first day of the week, giving those first hours of the day as Stephen spoke about. So as we're faithfully doing that so that when the opportunities come in life, we're able to take those opportunities. And just like Joseph You and I are missing out with a walk with the Lord that is available to us. Let this be the day that you step out of the shadow and you say, my allegiance is with Christ. And then if you're in here today, you're not believing, let me remind you that great measure was taken to prove the authenticity of the death and resurrection. It matters far more than you could ever imagine in world history, in your life, and eternity that Jesus Christ died for you. And you need to make that decision. You don't need to let it go unsettled today. You need to decide, did Jesus Christ really die for me? And if so, what does that mean for me today? And you need to make that decision. And I'd love nothing more than to help you do that. If Thatcher has it, I'd like to put my email address up here. But I'm going to pray, and I'm going to take a moment, and we're just going to... Of Trent at visionbaptist.com. I'm going to take a moment. We're going to pray. Believers in here, the invitation for this type of message happens on Tuesday morning. It happens on Friday. It happens throughout the week. The decision, the altar call for this is going to happen this week where you have an opportunity to step into the shadow or to step out and say, I love Jesus. But today, you can resolve in your heart what that decision is going to be, that I am going to stand with Christ. Would you make that decision? love nothing more than to help you and to pray for you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we take a moment. Believers, pray. Come to an altar if that's what God would have for you today. Pray there in your seat. But make the decision today that when the question comes this week, that you will not step into the shadows, but you will be a bold witness for Christ. Believers, as you're praying, let me speak to you today and here. If you're in this room today, you'll watch online, or someday in the future, you'll hear a message like this, and you'll wonder, 
why a group of people would meet on Sunday. Why would people say amen to this message? Why would people radically change their lives because of the story of Jesus? And the reason is he loved us and he died for us and he paid the penalty of our sin. And there's nothing like that in all of this world. And so we want you to know that story. We want you to put your faith in him and to follow him. I'm going to pray for you. Some of you may have it right there upon your heart right now. And you know the decision that needs to be made that takes you out of the shadow, that aligns yourself as a follower of Christ. And now I'm praying for you that just like with here, that you would go before Pilate with boldness and encourage. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this example that is given to us today. Father, we rejoice that this man stepped out of the shadow. He no longer was a a secret disciple because of the fear of the Jews, but he followed you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. This week will provide so many opportunities for us to lift your name high, to show that you are stronger, to show that you are worthy of our worship. And Lord, may we not be silent. May we not sit back when there's an opportunity. May we not let them mistreat your son. Lord, maybe not in the same way as Joseph, in a physical manner, but Lord, people mistreat your son here upon this earth and they speak of him in a way that is not worthy of him. And may we never sit back silently. May we be disciples that will follow regardless of the cost. Father, I pray for anyone in here today who has not put their faith and trust in you, that today would be the day of salvation, that as they sit there in their seat, that they would say that they want to follow you with their lives. They would ask for forgiveness of their sins. They would put their faith and trust in you. They would allow us the great opportunity to rejoice with them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.